everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendijk. So before I jump into the text this morning, it's really hard to teach this piece of scripture to you without giving you a little bit of a recap of where we've been. So we're continuing in our series called Love Period, and that is really just the journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with the Beatitudes. You heard that talk. These are these eight blessings that Jesus declares over his followers, over the people that have gathered. And you have to remember, Jesus was alive for 30 years. He taught in the synagogues, but this is really his first public pronouncement of what it means to be in his kingdom and what the kingdom looks like. And so you can imagine just the shock and awe that that his followers had, especially the down and outers, when they hear things said like, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, blessed are you who are not stirring up trouble but are making peace, blessed are you who are meek. And equally surprising, I'm sure, to the Pharisees is this word about generosity and kindness, and it's not about the rules. And, and you know, they are waiting for Jesus to announce his constitution. He's saying, this is the constitution of the kingdom. And it's not about rituals, and it's not about rules or structures even. Jesus is describing his inner life. If you go back and read through those, that is the character of God. They are the virtues that he says, you will be happy. You will be happy people if you can live this way And I'm going to empower you to do that. And he goes on to to be really hard on the Pharisees. And he says, you know, you guys have used the law. You've manipulated it to allow you to have this spiritual superiority, to be able to keep this morally upright lifestyle. And Jesus says, that's not the intent of the law. The intent of this law is to diagnose the heart. And he says, your hearts are off and you need new hearts. That's a lot. But then Jesus says, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to show you the good life. I'm going to show you the way forward. So I just want you to know, as we read this really tough passage this morning, that's the lens that you're listening to it through. Amos has called it our Jesus compass. I think that's a good metaphor because really Jesus is saying, if you get that needle pointed at me and you become more like me, then your heart and your life's posture will become this grid for you, that you can navigate all of the challenges that life throws at you. And we all know that we have no shortage of challenges right now. There is political and social and socioeconomic and racial upheaval, unrest. And so there's just never been, I don't feel like, a more timely message than what Jesus is about to speak about. And he goes on in Matthew 5 uh, and says, here's the good life, but then right away says, here are six toxins. I'm going to list off six things that will start to erode or corrupt or uh, 
just disintegrate from the inside out the beautiful way that I've designed you to live. And the very first one is anger. And we were going through these topics in staff meeting, and Tyler's like, anger, Allison, you, go, teach on that. And I'm like, do we need to have a conversation? Like, why are you nominating me for this? But I said, okay, fine, I'll try it. And I have to say, it has been so, so good uh, for me. And so I'm just excited to share kind of some insights that I have with you today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. And it says, You have heard it said to people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. And he goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So these are somewhat uh, tough words to wrestle with, and, and Jesus does not really mince them here at all. Uh, he says these are serious issues that have serious consequences. And, you know, right off the bat, I just want to say this is one of those passages that I think, unfortunately, has been misinterpreted, misread by Christians uh, to mean anger is sin. Anger is morally wrong, and so you should just stuff it down. You should never show it. Don't let it show in your face. Don't let it come out of your being. And I just want to say, uh, that is not the kind of sin that Jesus is talking about here. He actually has a really specific type of anger in mind. And it's anger between you and another person. It's relational anger. So you see that it's between you and a brother or sister. So he's not talking about things like, I'm really irritated that my baseball game got rained out today, or I'm really miffed that the dishwasher is not unloaded yet again. Uh, he's not even talking about anger that would say, I'm just really angry that there's a pandemic. I'm angry that my vacation got canceled. I'm angry that I don't get to see my friends as often as I want. I'm angry that my schooling looks different than I planned. All of those things could fade into this relational anger, but that's not what we're addressing here today. And, you know, you can tell this because he starts off by saying, you have heard it said long ago, but I tell you blank, the heart issue, right? You've heard it said, don't do this behavior, but I tell you don't have this heart condition. And he's referencing the Ten Commandments there. And so that kind of helps us understand 
why being angry could be the same as murder. And it's because the whole basis of the prohibition of killing people uh, was that we are made in the image of God. And so you're not to take anything and defile anything that is an image of God. And certainly people are, are his highest creation, his highest image bearers. Um, and so you see it says here that you cannot say to a brother or sister, Raka. And so you're probably thinking, yep, that's not one that I've used lately. Um, and, you know, I thought it was funny as I was reading through it, like, come on, translators, like you're supposed to give me the English here. Uh, so what is up with this Aramaic word, actually, that's hanging out in the text? And really, you kind of have to be kind to the translators. They're doing their best. The problem is, is that we don't really have a good English word or a concept that is easily used to describe what is meant by raka. And so they use that Aramaic. And it actually closely translates as empty one or nothing. And so it's as if when you say that to someone, it it's, wouldn't really work as a put down or an insult. Like I'm not going to be like, hey, you like non-entity or like, hey, you lack of form. Like, that just doesn't work in our language, right? And it's because it's not a verbal put-down. It's an attitude. He's addressing the heart attitude. Like, hey, when I think of you, you're nothing to me. You don't exist in my mind. I can't deal with you. And it's a, it's a belittling. It is a sense that there is not value in that person. And the other word they use here is, uh, Jesus uses is, you fool. Uh, and the Greek word there is moros. So it's probably easy to guess, conjecture at what that translates to in our language, moros, moron. Um, he says, if you say that, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. And, you know, I see this and I think about how, again, I, I'm tempted to say, well, I still haven't killed anybody, so this really can't be that bad. Like, I'm not going to pick up a gun and end someone's life. And Jesus says here, it, it's the same. That violation is happening in your heart if you're thinking and feeling these things about people. Because he says, it happens in response to a personal offense. And if you go toward ill will for that person when you're offended, it is as if you have murdered them. It doesn't matter, actually, if you've lived a really morally upright life or a really criminal life. You have the same tendencies kind of brewing in your heart if you let your anger go unchecked. And... I heard Tim Keller use this analogy. It's just been really helpful to me. He said, think of murder and anger as two seeds. Maybe they're acorn seeds. And, you know, one seed falls on fertile soil. It gets the right, you know, conditions. It has sunlight and it has water. And it will grow up and it will become this big tree. The other seed might fall onto the sidewalk, as chance would have it, right? And... We all know that cement is not a great 
uh, soil for an acorn to grow, so it's just going to rot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rot and wither and do nothing. And he says, none of you would make a judgment against the acorns and say, well, the, the acorn that grew the actual tree is clearly morally superior, is clearly the better acorn than the one that didn't. And it's because they both have the same genetic makeup. They both have the entire mature tree available in that seed. It's just that the one had different conditions and stumbled upon it, and so it turned into something else. So you are no better. You are no better than the murderers. It's not above you. It could happen to you. So to help us kind of get this concept to sink down a little bit deeper into our hearts and minds, I'm going to actually invite my friend Terry Miller up. Uh, she's on her way. Terry is a life group leader here at the church, and she's also a chemistry teacher, if you can't tell by her lovely uh, lab coat. It's a lab coat, right? Okay. And goggles. Uh, so Terry, uh, why don't you tell us what's going on down here? Thank you, Allison, for letting me share something that I love. Um, science is fun when you can visualize it. So what I have set up here is a magnetic stirrer. I'm going to turn that on. And the way this works, it just helps the reaction go a little better. There's a, a magnet in the plate that spins, and then there's a small magnet in the beaker that spins. Inside the beaker, there's water and one chemical dissolved in that solution. And then what I'm going to do is pour the second solution. I'll measure it. This one has water and two different chemicals in it, and then I'll pour that into the original one in the beaker. All right. All going to watch and anxiously await. Looks great. Thanks, Terry. So you guys, we live in an angry world, and there's horrific wrongdoing, and right now there's a lot of justification happening for your anger and for the anger of people all over. There are people who are saying, I deserve it. It's my right to say these cutting, cruel, unkind things to my political opponent because they're just scum of the earth, and it's dehumanizing, and it's demonizing, and it's not okay. And... I just want to ask today, do you know when anger is at work in your heart? Is there an offense that you have not been able to overlook? Is there someone, when you think about them, that that narrative just plays over and over and over in your head? I'm going to come down and peek at this thing. Hmm, interesting. All right. One of the red flags for me is that I just get tired. When I'm really tired, I think like, is there some, you know, unresolved conflict that I'm just carrying around because I feel exhausted? And a lot of times that's an that's a indicator for me that my heart is not good. So if there's signals going off in your heart, what I want to say to you is don't ignore them because they're going to show up in your marriage. They're going to show up in your parenting. They're going to show up in your work relationships. And they are going to show up as you interact on Facebook. We've talked a lot about that, right? You can't just wait and hope that anger is going to go away. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. 
because, as you can see here, anger, when it's left to fester, will turn your whole soul dark. And you guys probably noticed, like, that was not a slow fade, right? That was not a, oh, it's, it's kind of murky, it's kind of bad. That was instant impact. That was, I've got stuff that is colliding in my soul, and I don't even know about it, and then, boom, it goes dark. And so I guess what I want you to know today is, even if you're not aware of your inner life, uh, things are not stagnant. Things are in motion there. It's old wounds. It's unkind words that people say, it's unmet expectations, it's hopes deferred. And when all these things are mixing up and you add in a little bit of irritation or a little bit of annoyance, those chemicals, just like Terry showed us, are going to interact in ways that will corrupt you from the inside out. And, you know, this is why... In this passage, you can see there's urgency here. Jesus actually gives us some tools, some ways to deal with our anger. And urgency is one of the principles that he says, you've got to take care of today's anger today. Because that can actually happen in healthy ways, right? Today's anger for today is okay. Today's anger tomorrow is actually really toxic. You know, and I was thinking about this, like... I wish that anger was kind of like wine. You guys probably know I really enjoy a glass of wine. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, anger is not like this. Anger is not like the nice bottle of Napa Cab that I have in my basement that is down there aging. Because when wine ages, you know, you get the, the tannins to soften and you get the flavors grow in complexity and they start to interact with each other and like bring out different notes. That is not how anger works, unfortunately. Anger is actually a lot more like milk. So I'm sure I'm not the only one who sometimes has woken up in the morning and been like, unpleasantly surprised by chunky things in my cereal when I poured the milk. Uh, or maybe you're like, I can take a little spoiled sour taste. It's fine. I didn't open it that long ago. Right? But I bet you all can imagine with me how bad spoiled milk smells. Right? Unfortunately, I was reminded of this just a few months ago because actually one of the refrigerators in the church here broke. Okay? And I was here with the tech team working on some stuff, and it was like this moment where Chris Jones and I turned to each other and we're like, ah, what is that? It's so rancid. Where are the fans? We got to get it out of here. That is nasty. Okay, so. Turns out that not when I say the refrigerator broke, I don't mean like it just stopped making coldness <laughs> and keeping things cold. I found out that commercial refrigerators, when they break, they actually start heating up. And so, you guys, it was legitimately like 100 degrees when we opened the fridge and it was boiling the milk. And one of the cartons actually exploded in there. And so Amos, bless his heart, put on a respirator. And he's like, I'm going in. And I'm like, oh, geez, OK, thankful for you that you're doing that. 
You guys, so many people have deep cleaned that fridge and it still smells. It still smells. Like maybe if you don't have a sensitive of nose as I do, you can't smell it, but it still is there. And I think that some of us have this lingering stench of anger in our families. And, you know, if it's not you that's the culprit here, maybe it's just it's a grandparent, it's a parent, it's a brother or a sister. And the thing of it is, as that anger has curdled, it's kind of grown into bitterness. It's grown into resentment. And it's not as if, again, that person took a gun and took someone out. But that bitterness has taken people out for years, for decades. Some of you are dealing with it generationally. Like there are people that have been blacklisted that you don't talk to. Those relationships are severed because of this root of bitterness that has grown in your heart. And Jesus says, you can never be cruel. You can never blow people off. You can never think poorly of people. My followers are not supposed to look like that. And so you might think like, well, then what are we actually supposed to do with our anger then? Well, interestingly, Jesus seems to say that it is rooted in conflict management. Again, it's a relational anger, so it's a way that we can manage our conflict. And you guys don't have conflicts, right? Nobody has those. No, they're super common. In fact, if you're not in conflicts, I'm not sure that you're actually in a real relationship. Like, that's how much this comes up. So check this out. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that you or your brother has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and offer your gift. And it's interesting. It doesn't say if you're miffed at somebody else, go to them. Although there are places in the Bible that give that instruction. Uh, Jesus is taking it up a notch here, and he's saying, no, if you think anybody else is miffed at you, you still make the first move. You still go to that person. And it's so time-sensitive to Jesus that he says, I don't care if it's in the middle of your personal worship time with me or your corporate worship time with me. Like, if you are not okay this way, then we're not okay this way. That is how seriously he's taking it. He says, go and deal with that before you come back and give your gift to me. And I know that some of you have heard like time heals all wounds, right? That's common. We hear that in our culture, but I hope that you'll remember this little beaker of black nasty chemical and just remember, ah, no, it doesn't. (laughs) No, it doesn't. The longer that it's festering, it actually doesn't heal. It causes calluses in us. And, you know, the interesting thing here is that I was reminded that, you know, resolution is actually not the same thing as reconciliation. Jesus says here, be reconciled. And actually, the Greek word reconciled, this particular one in this passage in Matthew, 
uh, is only used one other time. Or actually, this is the only time. This is the only time in the New Testament that this particular word is used. And it literally translates as, like, let go of anger, to release anger, to renounce anger. Um, And so that, to me, speaks about the nature of reconciliation. It's actually about repairing the relational rift. It's not always about finding a fix to the problem. Like, reconciling with somebody does not mean, like, okay, I need you to change, and I'll change, and we'll figure it out so that somehow we're okay. It's saying, like, no, I'm just going to offer forgiveness, and we're going to decide that we're okay. So there's not always a solution that you're going to be able to find in this. And, you know, the world, again, does not tell us this way. It says, hey, if somebody's offended you, you demand respect. Don't let yourself get walked on. You go make sure that people pay you back and they feel that rift. Protect yourselves at all costs. And actually, Jesus says here, no, reconciliation means that you let go of hostility on both sides. You let go of your own anger and you, in how you pursue that other person in love and in gentleness, will actually win them over so that they are in a heart posture so that they can also say, like, I will choose to let go of my anger towards you. It's amazing stuff to give the gift to somebody in an offense to not have to carry their anger and their aggression. That is so otherworldly-like and just like the kingdom of Jesus. And, you know, finally, at the end of this passage, it says... In verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. So now we're in a court case. Interesting examples. Jesus has addressed what we do with our anger in worship, and now he's addressing it from the legal standpoint. And it just strikes me that if you're at the point of taking somebody to court, uh, your anger is probably out of control. It's probably to the point where you're past, like, wanting to be okay with the person relationally, and it's only about right and wrong. And you're just dead set on being right. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You can be totally right and so wrong. So wrong. All at the same time. And when that hit me, I thought, ah, that's why Tyler wanted to volunteer me to talk about anger because I'm an Enneagram 1. And Enneagram 1s have this primary need uh, to be right. I love being right, and I hate being wrong. And my justice compass is really hot. Like, I can notice that when I'm interacting with people, like, I get that justice compass out, I'm, like, metering the situation to see who's right and who's wrong. And my vice is anger. Isn't that interesting? The vice of the one is anger. I move to anger when there's a sense that fairness has gone off course. And Jesus has just, through reading this this week and prepping for this message, said, Allison, like, you need to put the justice compass down and pick up the Jesus compass. Listen to how Jesus deals with anger here. This is from Mark chapter 3. This is really amazing. He says, 
Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, right? So they've got that justice compass out. They're watching him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. And then Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill. But they remain silent. And then what does Jesus do? He says he looked around at them in anger. Jesus got angry here. And then he says, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the Pharisees, oh, stretch out your hand, and the man was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. This is brilliant. This is beautiful. Jesus, in his anger at these men, actually moves toward compassion. He moves toward them. He says, I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to restore. I'm going to be compassionate with you. And you look at the anger of man here is to kill. Like, they're just so irritated. And so now it goes to this premeditated murder. They're making plans to take Jesus out. And so, you you know, like, be angry, guys. You are allowed to feel that emotion. Feel what you need to feel. It's an emotion that's from God, and he created it. But this is the standard. This is actually the standard that the Bible says. Don't cross that line into bitterness. Don't cross the line into hatred and holding on of grudges. Yeah, what you do with your anger can lead to righteousness or it can lead to somebody's destruction. And here's the thing. Jesus was so completely right when you were so completely wrong. And he moves towards you in his grace, in his mercy. He says, I love you. I'm going to make it right with you. And so that's what we need to remember when we hold on to those offenses. Proverbs 19, 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Man, I wish that there were other ways to get glory. <laughs> um, but I think, I think the beauty, I think the glory that God is talking about here is like you can actually position yourself in the truth in such a way that making it right relationally, going to the person, that you can actually impart something good into their life when you do that. And Jesus is saying, guys, this is my kingdom. This is how it gets announced in your life. It's not flashy. It's not popular. It's slow work. It's inner work. But when the kingdom comes in your life, it comes not by being right, but by being whole. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are gracious, God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and you're good to all. And today, God, we just want to let you tenderize our hearts toward those people with whom we just cannot seem 
to let offenses go. And Jesus, I pray as people are watching now, you would bring to mind ways that we have held grudges, ways that we've let irritation fester. And pray through your spirit that you would bring to mind an action step for us to put that anger down, to go make it right, to truly live and be reconciled with each other. Thank you that that is the hope of the world, God, that that you want us to be united, you want us to be one. It is dear to your heart. And so, God, let nothing come between us. We pray in your Holy Spirit's power and in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.